you know, when I came to medical school, it was pretty much of an open book. I wasn't I wasn't sure exactly which pathway I would take. This is Dr. Sandeep Kapoor. Today, he's a world-renowned kidney transplant surgeon. But back in med school in the late 1980s, he was still finding his way in the medical field. My father was a psychiatrist, and I had, and I had minored in psychology in college. And honestly, I thought that I may end up pursuing psychiatry, um, just as he did. But that all changed when he discovered something new, surgery. What I fell in love with was the immediacy with it and the ability to really be in control of how you took care of someone and just that sense that when you operate on someone, you have a sense that you can fix them. Dr. Kapoor was a little nervous to tell his dad about his choice to pursue surgery, afraid he'd be disappointed. But when he finally worked up the nerve to tell him... I remember him telling me that he wasn't surprised. And I said, really? And I said, they're so different. And he goes, no, they're not. He said, they're very similar. If you think about it, surgery and psychiatry are really two of the most invasive fields, just, just in different ways. So having made the decision to become a surgeon, and with his dad's incisive comment ringing in his mind, Dr. Kapoor narrowed in even further. He decided to pursue a specialty that had the potential to save lives on a grand scale, organ transplantation. I was trained as a multi-organ surgeon with kidney, liver, pancreas, even small bowel. Of all the different types of transplants he performed, Dr. Kapoor found that kidney transplantation stood out. Those surgeries were almost always successful. So they made an immediate positive impact on lots of patients' lives. They feel invigorated, energized. When they get transplanted, they often will say a fog has been lifted. I didn't realize it, but a fog has been lifted from my brain and they find themselves instantly more clear. And it is such an uplifting experience for them. Performing a kidney transplant was gratifying for Dr. Kapoor. It reminded him of what made him fall in love with surgery in the first place the feeling that he could fix people. Dr. Kapoor wanted to give as many people as he could the chance to continue living full, rich lives post-transplant. And so his path was clear. He would focus his work on kidney transplantation. Every time I go to do a kidney transplant, I know the outcomes are going to be 98, 99% successful. And that's just a really good feeling for me. But the journey to that successful outcome can be long and uncertain. Because in the United States today, there are almost 110,000 people waiting for an organ transplant. 92% of those is for a kidney. Last year, there was less than 44,000 transplants performed. You know, literally double the number of people are waiting. And every day, there's like eight to 10 people that die on the waiting list because of the unavailability of the organ. That seemed like a huge disconnect to Dr. Kapoor. Kidney transplants were pretty much guaranteed to make renal failure patients better. But despite how successful the surgery was, not everyone who needed a transplant could get one. Dr. Kapoor wanted to figure out how to close that gap. To boost the number of people who can have a successful kidney transplant and a better quality of life because of it. So he decided to create new ways to match kidney donors and recipients and even perform transplants more efficiently to increase the number of kidneys available for patients who need them. 
literally, we find ourselves today in what I think is a crossroads of changing really the fabric of how donation has been practiced in the United States. We're now kind of coming into a period of time where we're expanding our opportunities in transplant beyond what had existed previously. I'm Catherine Price, and this is Advances in Care. In this episode, we're joined by Dr. Sandeep Kapoor, Chief of Transplant Surgery and Director of the Kidney and Pancreas Transplant Programs at New York Presbyterian Weill Cornell Medicine. Over his decades-long career, Dr. Kapoor has built Weill Cornell Medicine into one of the top kidney transplantation centers in the country. His patient-centered philosophy has led him to pioneer donation strategies and introduce medical advances in kidney transplantation that have allowed thousands of successful surgeries to be performed that were not previously possible. Dr. Kapoor's journey has been both thrilling and challenging, and he says it's been worth every minute. When I first came here in 1998, I think it would be fair to say that we were kind of a middle-of-the-road program with not large volumes, but respectable. What the transplantation program at New York Presbyterian did have when Dr. Kapoor arrived was a respected history. In 1963, they were the first hospital to perform a kidney transplant in New York State. We had people that had been involved in kidney transplantation since its beginning and had been major contributors to the development of kidney transplantation. And we had a physician core that was second to none, you know, both on the nephrology side and on the surgery side. So in some ways it was easy when I came to kind of build upon that. Dr. Kapoor trained at the University of Pittsburgh before coming to Weill Cornell Medicine. Which in those days was probably the leading center in transplantation in the United States. So he was tasked with using his expertise to build Weill Cornell Medicine's kidney transplantation program. He took the program's strong history and built on it with a simple philosophy. I wanted our program to offer the maximum amount of opportunities to transplantation that could exist. We expanded beyond just standard kidney transplants. We started offering opportunities to people that had other issues that may have prevented them from moving forward with transplant, such as underlying extensive heart disease or older individuals. We started utilizing uh, deceased organs that wouldn't have been traditionally used in the past. So we just adapted every single avenue that exists in transplantation and made that available to any patient coming here. By 2007, Dr. Kapoor had transformed the department from a middle-of-the-road program into the program that performs the highest volume of kidney transplants in the nation. His team's creative, multidisciplinary approach to transplantation means that they are able to perform transplants that other hospitals can't, particularly when it comes to dealing with complex or high-risk cases. When you start working with older patients, sicker patients, patients that are immunologically challenged, you need a supporting staff that can help get them through an operation 
and get them to a place where they're healthy again. So having fantastic cardiology that we've developed really strong relationships with has been invaluable. Having a radiology group so that we can get advanced imaging in the way that we need it without having to fight with anyone has been invaluable. Having anesthesia that can take care of really sick patients in the operating room has been invaluable. And it's really the sum of all these efforts that really speaks to what we're able to do. And all of these things in concert are not available everywhere else. Dr. Kapoor's team has used their resources to tackle some of the enduring challenges with kidney donation. For example, living kidney donation, where a kidney from a living donor is transplanted into a patient via same-day surgery, is the gold standard of kidney transplantation. It's the quickest way for a patient to get a transplant that lasts, rather than waiting years and years for a deceased donor kidney. And maybe not even surviving before they get an adequate organ offer. So there's the immediacy to it. But to me, more importantly, is that when you look at how long transplanted kidneys last, if you take all comers, all comers in the United States, irrespective of age, underlying medical conditions, and so forth, the average half-life of a kidney from a deceased donor is about eight to 10 years. You compare that to the average half-life of a living donor kidney, whether that's from someone that's related to you or totally unrelated to you, is 18, 22, 26 plus years. There's almost a two and a half time survival advantage. But despite the clear advantages, fewer transplantation centers are equipped to perform living organ transplants. The procedure requires a more comprehensive approach than deceased organ transplantation, because there are two living people you have to operate on pretty much simultaneously. Plus, the lengthy recovery time after surgery could deter some people from considering living donation in the first place. So to make the process smoother and more appealing to potential kidney donors, Dr. Kapoor's team improved the donor operation procedure so that it's minimally invasive and requires only a few weeks of downtime post-surgery. At our place, we uniquely have probably the largest experience in the world through Joe Del Pizzo, one of our urologists, who does the donor operations in utilizing a technique called single port extraction of the kidney. And what that involves is making a small incision through the belly button and placing a port into that space through which we can introduce instruments and then doing the operation up on the television screen. And then after the kidney is removed, we take the kidney out through the belly button, which allows us to envelope the scar in cosmetically into the belly button. So one small single incision cosmetically placed in the belly button. People are up and about the same day. We keep them in the hospital one extra day just for safety, but home the next morning. And if they have a non-manual labor job, the overwhelming majority of them are ready to go back to work within three weeks. But even with all of New York Presbyterian's multidisciplinary expertise, Dr. Kapoor still came up against a persistent, essential problem. There aren't enough organs available in this country to save every life that could be saved by kidney transplant. There's been, as far back as I can remember, many, many more people that need a transplant than there are organs available to transplant in this country. And 
unfortunately, that metric really hasn't changed for almost two decades now. And on top of the fact that there just aren't enough kidneys to go around in this country, there's another hurdle to overcome here. Usually, when someone chooses to make a kidney donation, they want to donate to someone they know. Either it's someone within the family or a longtime personal friend. There's a longtime connection. It's been based very much on this emotional attachment. The problem is, no matter how much someone might want to donate their kidney to a loved one, they often can't because they aren't the right match. When patients come to us, even if they come to us with a donor, 30% of the time that donor would not be able to donate to the person that they came in with. Either blood type incompatibility or if they have a positive cross match, uh, preventing them from donating safely to their loved one. Previously, Dr. Kapoor says, if a patient found themselves in that situation, they'd be left with very few options. The only resource those people would have would be either to find another donor, which in itself is very difficult to begin with, or if the opportunity existed to consider what's known as a ABO incompatible transplant, to transplant across the normal blood groupings, which would put them at higher risk for rejection activity and also necessitating a lot more immunotherapy on board to allow that transplant to survive. In certain instances, doable, but definitely with a higher degree of risk. So when you have a patient with a willing donor, but one who isn't a match, how do you still help that patient and secure that donated organ for another person whose life could be saved? Dr. Kapoor found the answer in paired exchange. Paired exchange is that when you have a recipient who has a donor, but that donor cannot donate to that recipient for these various reasons of ABO incompatibility and so forth, then you have another pair in a very similar situation. But that other pair's donor actually matches the recipient of the first pair and the donor of the first pair matches the recipient of the second pair. You do an exchange. So you exchange the donors, and that ends up being a paired exchange. But for a long time, there wasn't a coordinated way to connect these potential matches to one another. That is, until 2007, when Dr. Kapoor encountered a transplant case that shined a spotlight on that problem. A little 12-year-old girl came to me with her parents, and that little girl's father wanted to donate, but we found that he couldn't donate to her directly. And that took this gentleman on a journey to find a living donor transplant for his daughter. This little girl's dad worked day and night to find a donor, reaching out to every paired kidney exchange program in the nation. Some of the programs never returned his calls. Others wanted his family to move his daughter's care to a faraway hospital just to participate in their program. And none of them were able to find a match. And he saw how broken the system was. There was no coordination. In the end, a distant cousin came out of the woodwork and proved to be a good match for the little girl. Dr. Kapoor performed the surgery, and it was successful. But the process of searching for a donor had had a profound impact on this dad. That process influenced him so strongly that he came back to me and he goes, Sandy, 
how do we work on this paired exchange process? How do we make it such that people aren't in my situation and they have opportunities to help the person that they want to help, but they may not be able to do it directly? This little girl's dad happened to be a software engineer, so he created an algorithm that could match potential donors. Dr. Kapoor got to work coordinating on the donor side. And that was the beginnings of the development of the National Kidney Registry. The National Kidney Registry is essentially a central pool of potential kidney donors. Say you want to donate your kidney to a family member, but you're an incompatible match. Well, your information stays in this database, and then, if at some point the matching algorithm finds a person whom you do match with, the program is easily able to reach out and initiate a transplant. Dr. Kapoor remembers the first time he performed a chain of transplants initiated through the National Kidney Registry on Valentine's Day, 2008. So that day is kind of hectic. That first set of transplants on Valentine's Day, 2008, started with an altruistic donor in Los Angeles that my friends at UCLA harvested the kidney and it was flown here overnight by the red eye. That initiated a set of four transplants here. We have three or four ORs all kind of functioning either in a slightly staggered way or really at the same time. My entire surgical team is involved and that kidney comes and we literally have three or four transplants happening at the same time. That, that altruistic donor literally was the key that unlocked the door to allow four other transplants to occur, including a four-year-old little boy who's now in college. At the end of that four-person chain, that little boy's father became the bridge donor to start another chain. And it's just you know, it's very uplifting. Uh, you feel like you've accomplished an incredible amount in a single day. Without a doubt, it was, uh, that was a very gratifying time. And, Dr. Kapoor says, since that first donor chain in 2008, the National Kidney Registry has only grown. What's developed from there is you know, sometimes unimaginable when, when you step back and think of it, because we started with two programs, UCLA and us. Now there are over 160 programs all over the country that participate in the program. 20% of the living donor transplants performed in the United States are now through the National Kidney Registry and the Paired Exchange Program. So there's literally been thousands of transplants performed. But now we're finding that we're evolving to even a higher degree of practice. Now, Dr. Kapoor and his team are building on the multidisciplinary approach they've established at Weill Cornell Medicine. Since they have a larger pool of donors, they can begin to innovate the next frontier, finding ways to ensure the best quality matches, rather than settling for matches that are good enough, in order to improve patients' quality of life post-transplant. Immunological matches based on looking at the HLA antibodies and seeing how many of the proteins line up. That protein match is rated on a scale of 0 to 6. Dr. Kapoor says that if a pair is blood type compatible, but a 0 out of 6 protein match, that's still technically an acceptable transplant. That it's good enough, but it's not the best, and it can be better. And 
you know, as our knowledge of the HLA matching algorithm has expanded, we're now looking at even more proteins uh, on the cell surfaces. We're trying to prioritize matches with what we call low epaulet matches. The lesser number of epaulet epitopes that you have, the lower the degree of reactivity of the cells from the donor and the recipient, translating into less immunological activity and damage over the lifespan of that transplanted kidney. With a low epaulet match, donor kidneys last longer, and recipients can avoid having to follow an intense and potentially disruptive immunotherapy regimen after surgery. Dr. Kapoor and his team have taken these innovations beyond the operating room, pioneering research into immunotherapy. If I think back to my fellowship days, we're literally using one-third the amount of medication that we use then. Their findings have drastically reduced the amount of immune-suppressing drugs patients need to take after transplantation, and that's improved patient outcomes overall. Some of the things that have allowed us to do that are some of the things that have been developed here. Dr. Kapoor and his team developed a non-invasive method for monitoring immune response after transplant surgery, which is usually tested by biopsy. Out of Dr. Suthanthran's laboratory, he's developed a molecular test that can look at the urine of our transplant patients, and it'll provide a non-invasive way to have an index of the immunological activity that's happening within the graft. So a biopsy has always been the gold standard, but Obviously, in a practical way, you can't biopsy someone every week. Uh, It's an invasive procedure with its own set of potential issues. But just collecting the urine of a transplant patient and taking it to a laboratory and running a molecular assay on it is a lot more doable. All of these advances pairing donors and improving immunological research have allowed Dr. Kapoor to deliver on his goal to get more people the best transplants possible to improve their quality of life. He's especially passionate about providing transplantation opportunities to people who might traditionally be passed over for kidney transplant due to their age. The American population is living longer, and you see a fair amount of kidney disease progressing to kidney failure later on in life, and people are still pretty well preserved, and they have a lot of life still left to live. Dr. Kapoor says that his conviction that older people still deserve a chance at kidney transplant comes from observing his own 94-year-old mother's relationship with his grown children. My mother worked till she was 84 years old. She lives independently, and my kids have a great relationship with her. They'll go and they'll spend a weekend with her. They'll go out to dinner with her. That kind of experience has just informed me that I don't find that it's my job to tell someone that they can't continue on with their life. As long as they have a life to live that's meaningful and a kidney transplant will allow them to live that life, and I think that we can perform it safely, then I'm going to give them that opportunity. While the advances he's made and the robust program he's built are pushing the field forward, Dr. Kapoor's ultimate hope for the future of kidney transplantation remains simple. I think the number one hope that I would have is 
that we find a way to increase the supply of organs in this country. And then obviously the extension of that is utilizing stem cell therapy to even potentially inject kidneys with a stem cell therapy and rejuvenate failing kidneys. Maybe we could rehabilitate the kidneys they have, or at the very least, as I mentioned, find a way to increase the supply of organs so we don't have people dying on the waiting list for something that they shouldn't be dying for. I feel there's a tremendous amount of underutilization that exists from lack of education and awareness. So Dr. Kapoor continues to elevate the conversation around kidney transplantation with the public and with his patients. Because like his dad said all those years ago, what he does as a transplant surgeon is about connecting with people to make their lives better. What I've learned over the years, uh, these are patients that most of them are chronically ill for a lot of years. And by the time they come to me, they've overcome a lot of hurdles in their lives. And I find that even when I relate to them and speak to them about their options and what they can look forward to, there's a lot of psychology involved in that. When recipients can meet their donors, it is a phenomenally satisfying event. And I think for some of them, it sets up a lifelong friendship. That, in essence, is the beauty of kidney transplantation. And a large part of why I really enjoy being involved in it, it's the totality of what it symbolizes and what it involves in just people doing really decent things. Thank you so much to Dr. Sandeep Kapoor for speaking with us for this episode. His dedication to improving care options for renal failure patients is really inspiring. I personally have a much deeper appreciation for my own kidneys. I'm Catherine Price. Advances in Care is a production of New York Presbyterian Hospital. As a reminder, the views expressed on this podcast solely reflect the expertise and experience of our guests. To find more amazing stories about the pioneering physicians at New York Presbyterian, go to nyp.org advances.